0: When the talk is done, when the prep is done, when the hype and the build-up, the ring walks are done, the feet are wiped in the corner, the prowling around the ring has stopped, they walk to the centre, touch gloves and stare each other, eye, really, bite down on that shield and come out and answer the bell. There will be many opinions, there will be many comments, there will be many who have much to say, but very few who have ever walked that walk and felt those feelings. You are of course welcome on in for episode number 190. An episode which I considered, thought of, started, restarted, wrote and rewrote. One of the mantras I try very much to live by is, less is more. And in this episode, one of Irish boxing's favourite sons, one of the most likeable, lovable, I'm sure in some places, dislikable too. But that happens when you're real. And over the years, Ray Moylet has talked to talk, but by Jesus has he walked to walk too. This episode you're going to hear an interview that I did with Ray back around the end of the Olympics, mid to end of the Olympics last year and I kept it and I kept it and I kept it and I don't know why I kept it and I knew I would have a reason to keep it. My first three interviews when I started this podcast 190 episodes ago was Jerry Cooney, Derv Duffy, who I had to do the interview twice with, Derv still haunts me that one and today's guest Ray Moylet. My best and favourite memories of the amateur scene take in a little bit of Ray's early career, probably a lot more before it. And I didn't get to know much about him the way I did. The likes of his teammates, Kenny Egan, the likes of John John Evan, the likes of the late, great Darren Sutherland, and so many more, Paddy Barnes, Mick Conlon, all those guys were, were there. Ray came along just as I kind of dipped out a little bit. So for me to have been able... Not only to be in contact with Ray, but to get to know him as a person. It's been more than a little bit special. So that first interview that I did with Ray back then was on the night before his fight in Castlebar. He had just weighed in, he had the feet up in front of the fire and he was as chilled out as he is in this one today. But I use a word at the very beginning and I still don't know is it a word, contentment. Bear in mind that this interview was done long before his fight with Dalton Smith or anybody else was announced or even thought of. And now we sit here the night before, less than 24 hours, having done the weigh have having looked sensational on the scales, having just looked like he's meant to be there. And I know, I know, over the last few weeks, we've hadn't had the best of luck in the ring. And in case you think, I've forgotten those fights, I haven't. I'm coming back to those. I've got some great content, I've got some great interviews. I've got a different view on them, a different angle. But I have a feeling, and I know I'm always going to back my own, I know... Ray is one of mine. He's one of ours. I'm always going to go with ours. I'm never going to go against him. Sometimes, sometimes, most times, my heart rolls my head. But this time, the pedigree, the class, the quality, the experience, okay, little bit of inactivity. But we know the inactivity isn't what the media are making it out to be. I just have a feeling if we're going to stop the rot, it's going to be this weekend. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be in your ears for this episode, where I speak with Ray Millet about his amateur career, about the coaching setup, about the fighters that he was with, and some of the tall tales and stories. And yet again, my pal, big shout out to Roy Sheen features as one of the kingpin messers.
1: So I've lived the life, let's normal working man, and it's not for me. I still have, I still have something left in me in, in boxing.
0: What you're saying there is contentment with all those pieces in place, right? It puts you overall in a better place this time last year I remember saying to me mate as frightening as it was and as uncertain as it was there was a togetherness I'd never seen it before but well,
1: everyone was scared you know. Mm. yeah and at the start probably from Christmas on I was in China and you know we should never come here we all thought mm. and uh, I remember I went to Boston I arrived over on the Tuesday Trump declared national emergency Wednesday and I was home again Friday in two days the whole Boston shut down and the airport was empty when I came back to Dublin there was no cars in the street. It was literally uh, something you seen a film. There was people writing to me, what did they think, and I just told them all I said, this is far more serious than we ever thought, and just to mind. Your family, you know, and just followed the rules. Whereas before that, I was laughing.
0: That's right. I think that was the last time I chatted to you. Was you were just just before that, before you headed off, you barely got there, and then you barely got back. Everybody had different coping mechanisms. Every and for me, it was get busy. It was I was I was starting to do things, building things that I've never built that in my life. I was starting to. Yeah. The second lockdown, I think I got lost in it, and it really did start to pull me away. Cool. But. For you, you got busy too. You were you were fundraising and you had an amazing reaction and a response. Do
1: you know what, Al? That's one of my biggest achievements today. Mm-hmm. The amount of money we raised for all the charities, you know, those local charities as well Coming up at half
0: an hour gone here now 513 done I'm good, the struggle came a little bit earlier Maybe a minute or
1: two early Psychologically I've only 29 oh, minutes left
0: Unbelievable, 856 He's got this bad, doesn't he? You can see the pain, it's through his veins Half it's 900 stuff. now That was warfare between the mind and the body you Raised 9,865 euros so far I didn't raise
1: that money The people that donated raised that money And yourselves Everything else I've done in my life, I did it for me. To do something for other people and get such response for it—that was that was that was a massive moment for me. Anyway, definitely.
0: People that are around long enough will remember. Ray Milett burst on the scene, and I think it's fair to say you were one of the, the shining lights of, of those early years in the high performance unit. You came along behind Kenny and them lads.
1: Suddenly, so I landed on the scene.
0: Could you ever have known or had any inclination that that performance, that unit, and that system was going to perform the way it has and, and and to produce what it's produced over the years?
1: I'm constantly name dropping. I was training with Michael Conlon, uh, Paddy Barnes, Kay Taylor, Egan Eric and You know, I'm constantly name dropping. Anyone that asked me about boxing, i will say, oh yeah, I was training with them in the high performance you know, for 10 years. That team uh, has been so successful, amateur and professional, no matter what they went at. It was just like it was just a winning machine that, w- that was built. I often hear the story of Ken Egan and Eric Turnwinder tell us about when they started, I think it was 2003, and they used to go out to tournaments and they used to be drinking and all that, and they get hammered and... It didn't. Nothing ever mattered, and then, by the time it just came around, I think it hit its peak. Or it started going very well in two thousand eight, and that's sort of when I came onto the scene. So, like, I came onto like, let's say, I came into it in the boom, you know. So, I missed all the the sort of the the the, the bad days. Years. Let's say, <laughs> yeah, you know, the sloppy years at the very start, and then let's say for Rio and sixteen, that was a bit of a shit show as well. And I just left it that year as well. You know, so I got in at the right time. Pity I wasn't... uh you wasn't smart in the boom and buying houses and building
0: houses there well i can tell you I i didn't see any boom i remember it and i remember lads that i went to school with who were factory workers one day and the next day they were, they were block layers. yeah it went as quick as it came it was a golden era i mean it beijing was was the stuff that dreams were made of not just from a boxing standpoint but uh, the public got access the public these these were people we started to realize they're not just athletes they're they're people for good and for better or worse for all the good side and all the high performance and all the yeah. amazing performance, there was those, I mean, there was some horrendous bad luck around that team as well and, and it, it's well documented but it just goes to show that every single athlete, no matter how they are, and even now today we look at Simone Biles and we look at all that stuff that it, it's never changed. There's always the human side to yeah. these guys, isn't it?
1: I know Jerry Hussey gave us a talk one time when the round starts and all bets are off. It's not a math test. You know, there's no guaranteed answer. There's no structure. Anything is possible. Anything can change at any moment. And that's why we love it so much, because it's unpredictable. You don't know what's down the line and there's there's so much good to be gotten from it.
0: Jerry Hussey, without a doubt, one of the most mind-blowing people. He's one of the scariest, most informative, most education and soundest fellas I've ever... He was my very first taste, first-hand experience of sports psychology.
1: And you know, if you met him on the street, Al, he's the same way you or me. As in, he's down to earth. He's, he's just a real nice guy, a genuine fella, and what you see is what you get with him. He has the amazing ability to break down things and explain things. Of how our body works and what we need to do to be able to help it. You know. So a lot of a lot of people know what it's all about, but he is a special way of of getting the message across.
0: Yeah, I do I remember specifically so many things, but one one of the points he made was he was telling us at the time that two of the big sports that were gonna come and I just can't help but smile this week. One was cycling and the other was rowing. Like this was back in what two thousand, and he was with Pat Ryan. We you never even heard of him. How right he was. He's the sort of fella that doesn't speak for the sake of speaking. No,
1: no, no, Same. he does not.
0: One of the concerns I had, Ray, I'm, I'm biased, right, and I'll be the first to stand up and say, Ah, oh, sure, you can hang your hat on boxing. and Comes to the Olympic, there was a lot waiting around the corner in the dark when Rio happened. It was a horrible fall. It was a horrific fall. It wasn't. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. But it happened. And one of my fears coming into the early rounds of this was for all the talent. The Irish style, I was saying, oh, shit. Now, is this all Russian style? Is this all not style that we adapted and adopted and, and we made our own? Has it become a little bit left behind?
1: No, I think, like, we have. Don't get me wrong. We have adapted the old Soviet style. Because, number one, they were the best in the world. And, number two, we had Zor, mm. who had was our key link into training camps with with the Ukrainians and the Russians and everyone over that side. And so like I spent months over there over the last couple of years when I was on a, on a high performance team and we used to be getting hammered by them and but there was a stage then when we were, we were able to match with them. You know Because we were learning what they were doing. And we could see what they were doing and then we could compete with them. Um, but that didn't look like that it doesn't look like the the Soviet style that we we have there now, it seems, with the Cuban uh, movement, is thrown into that mix as well. So I say John Conlon has a lot to do with that because I know he's he, he's a great coach as well. So I think Zorn will be very technical and very um very Soviet style, obviously because he's from Georgia himself. But I think there is something else thrown into that. That team isn't just learning um. Not in one style. They, they're sort of picking up everything, really. So I wouldn't be worried about that at
0: all. Looking back at your two thousand and eight in in Guadalajara, and some of the names: Oscar Valdez, poor old Maxim Dadushev, who who passed away, Oscar Molina, Mag At the word, we only starting to come through those Soviet teams, those Eastern Bloc. How apparent are the different styles, Ray, when you're in with them? Not a whole lot anymore,
1: because the whole world has opened up. And training camps now are a big thing, whereas the early days, 2003 and all that, Ireland wasn't allowed in training with Russia sometimes because they weren't good enough. Um, I think it was France that brought them over for a while, France being sort of like the midway central Europe, so we could be able to pick up things off them. Then Ireland, or the Irish team was getting very good, and the French didn't want to let them in, so then they got the invitation to, to Russia. So we have evolved definitely. The whole world has evolved now together. Um, there's no country now that's left behind. Like you see, the likes of Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, they're they're strongholds now in boxing because they they've had. They've come, on, they've come on money. I don't know where they got it. was the natural elements or whatever it was. They're now leading in, in, in the boxing world as well with, with their styles and with their, with their medal winning. Everyone else only a couple hours away. Like, everywhere is so accessible. Everyone can train with everyone now. So, the style, it's nearly in a, a worldwide style at the minute. The Cubans do a bit of moving and the Soviets stick to their boxing. But now, as you've seen Kurt Walker, you've seen Aiden like... They can mix the two of them. There is no one style anymore that works. So, Nate, when I was boxing, and in that World time like, I had the passive defence, and that worked. That doesn't work anymore, so you have to do everything now. When we were going into training camps, like, all the countries were there, you know, like, there could be 20 countries in these training camps. So, like, everyone is constantly mixing with each other, and that's why everyone's learning off each other, and then it's whoever's the best time of the day. That's the way it is.
0: I can remember so many of those old boxing movies growing up. Not just Rocky, but with, with the likes of Streets of Gold. And there was this mystique, this aura. Was it anything like that when, when the Russians came to town, when they came to camp? As I
1: said, I came in in the good times, so I I didn't see any of it. I know they never smiled or they never, they never made any effort for communicating. We knew they were there always, but there was never... A dark cloud because we were able to compete with them at the stage when I came to it.
0: So rather than looking up to them, we were looking at them. That's it, yeah, Yeah. definitely, yeah. In terms of the Olympics and, and... Look, I'm old school. I'm old enough to remember those years where, where we probably didn't have an awful lot of... We didn't have Sky. We didn't have the choices. And I remember, it's terrible to say, I I didn't like listening to Jimmy McGee. I didn't want to listen. I was like, oh, here we go. Whether it was dog racing, horse racing, football, soccer, it was there. Now I'm putting together clips and I'm actually looking for it because it's not the same without him. He he has... Oh,
1: no, he's powerful. Really, incredible. like... I used to be given out about him as well because he used to be commentating on some of my fights, but he didn't talk something completely different that happened 50 years ago. But now I love, let's say I read the Years' Rant, and I love to hear his voice. And I love to hear, hear the old stories.
0: Well, looking at the Olympic, there's a magical aura around it for me, and I suppose it encapsulates at the heart of it all that's great about amateur sport. It, it's... it's
1: the be all and end all of amateur boxing. Well, that's what I was going to say. That's it. it is definitely and no matter what anyone else tells you, that it'll never be any different, or it never has been any different. It's the pinnacle of amateur boxing. In Ireland, definitely, I can't tell you about any other countries, I don't know, but in Ireland, to be an Olympian a boxer is the highest honour you can get in the amateur sport.
0: I know prestige-wise it is, without doubt, but in terms of uh, everything as worlds, Europeans.
1: It's the one to get, it's the one to be able to say the one you're at, it's the one that goes down in history, it's the one that everyone's looking for. I was at three World Championships. I would never even tell that to anyone. You know, three senior World Championships, which is a good feat and it's on its own. If anyone asked me, I'd say I missed out on the London Olympics by one fight and I missed out on Rio by one fight as well. I tell them what I missed out on more than what I've won because that's how prestigious it is.
0: Just to draw a line under the point you made, we do move on and that in Ireland, human nature is to forget. But I think, to be fair to you and to your support, when you look at almost 10 years after your medals, and you look at the reception that you got in Castlebar, that still gives me goosebumps. when you 're in the moment when you 're in the height of it and i don
1: 't forget myself either, you know like we sometimes we do forget some things, but you don 't forget the the bigger picture you don 't forget everything like you know you're, that's not a bad memory for me getting up in the ground with uh, with two thousand people who shouting for me that's that's another highlight of my career you know that's not that's a proud moment for me that 's not a bad memory, so thanks for bringing that up is he going to get up that he looks in trouble he looks unsteady Uh, uh, he looks in uh, a fair
0: bit of trouble caught with a left hook I think He's in a bit of trouble, but he's a tough guy, you know. If anyone can get to him, he's, yeah, he's in a lot of trouble here. And there's long to go in the round. There's over a minute left. He's now. under it's pressure here. He's under a lot of pressure here. And it is coming to a yo.
1: August Wayne, mind. all the way, minded. Push on Tussie at Barnwell, right? He's getting the crowd behind he's to do it, him. He's getting the crowd behind him. Nailing with a good job. He's doing very well in this round again. Mind, I'm coming
0: is there a chance when you're in that moment, when you're winning the World Championship, when you're comp- con- te- when you're defending it the following year, you're going into the Europeans, you're back then, you start at the start of the ladder to, to come back and, and compete for your elite title. Is there a chance to enjoy it while you're in it or uh, does it pass you by too quickly? Um,
1: I probably enjoyed it a bit more than I should have. <laughs>
0: That's why I never really regained anything.
1: Um, so you're probably not talking the men right man on that so I did probably enjoy it more than I should have like I always do overdo everything when I came after winning the Europeans in that was 7-11 and the Olympics in 2012 I was sort of head man going into the qualifiers I know I took the foot off the gas because I said I've got nothing to do here, so I'm already European champion I just have to do what I'm doing and I qualify whereas everyone that was in my category passed me out because they had to work. No, they had to get better. Whereas I didn't think I had to get better. So that passed me out. So yeah, there's, there, there is, you can enjoy it and you can do it. But if you do, you're going to you're going to suffer.
0: Fine line, I suppose, in the
1: balance. That's why boxers now, we're always talking about the next one. The next one, the next one. Yeah. You can't enjoy what you've done because you'll, you, you won't improve for the next one. You're always looking for the next one outside the box and then it's hard to enjoy the bits you do have because you always want more. But in order to be a successful boxer you have to be like you you're a psychopath. You have to train constantly want everything that you can't have. Just focus on yourself, you know, be very selfish with it. You need to you need to just put everything in for it, and then you need to be able to react to whatever happens. You need to react to that as well. And most boxers don't react to them things too well. And not most boxers—that's wrong. To say, but a lot of boxers don't react to things when they don't go their way. You know, you see it when, when they don't win fights. It's not like when when Manchester United don't win in the league, they don't all go they don't go mad or they don't go missing or they don't get into trouble. Whereas you see boxers that lose fights and they, they go off the rails sometimes.
0: I think that's a human flaw. It's, a, it's human nature. It's a, we don't like when things, we don't like adversity. We like when things are in easy street. Would you say that's the epitome of high performance unit? It's it's to it's to keep that foot on the pedal. It is
1: to keep the foot on the pedal, but to have a bit of security that when the foot does come off the pedal, which it will uh, inevitably come off it, whether it could be today, it could be in 10 years' time, the foot has to come off the pedal just to have the backup support or to have the training done to be able to go back into normal life, we lived in a bubble for ten years. Everything was laid down for us. We got money every few months. We were we had no responsibility. We got fed. We got we got housed. We got everything, and nothing mattered. Only about tournaments and going to win and fight. We we could get into trouble, and it was it was you know there was nothing ever done about it. It was all about the boxing. Look after him with the boxer. Blah blah blah. We were shielded and protected and minded and. But then, by the time we came out to step into the big bad world, we didn't have a clue. Just to try and find that As between. to balance, it, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. That's the most important bit. If I could have any advice to anyone in that setup, I know it, like it definitely has improved. Um, it has improved, but I think that's just the key thing to have um a bit of diversity with it and not to be not to be protected so much.
0: It's easy to jump on board now when things start going well and nobody sees the hard months the hard weeks the, the years the injuries like Kelly Harrington's story nobody will remember 12 months 18 months ago that girl was out with a broken hand it's success everybody wants to be a part of it like
1: Kurt Walker as like if this game was on last year he wouldn't have met it yeah. there's nothing easy for any of them out there no. and they've all they've all learned their crust to be there like it's easy to follow them now when they're winning and say no Kurt Walker 3-1 York in gold so sure, he's a great boxer but like he's had very tough days um, over the years as well as that you know so it's not just a fairy tale story there's graft in that
0: the mood in a camp the atmosphere in a camp as competitions yeah. get closer as the big events get closer how does it change does it become tense
1: oh what becomes yeah well like when you travel over we usually we usually go for two or three weeks training camp in the country so let's say the European Championships are in Bulgaria or in Minsk or whatever we to go two two weeks before to train over there. And that's when, when you were on the plane, that's when it started. You know, like the first few days, it's all about getting settled in, getting climatized. let's say, whatever, getting your weight and control. And like you're up playing cards because you're trying to pass the day because you can't do much. You can train and you can rest. You know, you're like outside scenes and all that. So like you're playing cards and you're messing and you're having crack. But then as it gets closer, it gets closer. Um, the mood changes, everyone goes into themselves years ago i hope paddy paddy won't mind me saying this, but Paddy used to be put into a room on his own he wasn't no one was allowed to share a room with him because he was all so tight on the weight that he he'd um used to fall out with everyone like no one could You couldn't tell Paddy anything when okay, coming close to competition because 'cause he'd literally bite your head off if you got a chance, so no one would go in the room with him. And Billy, Billy wouldn't book anyone in the room with him because he was um, he, he was unpredictable, you know. So he was left on his own, and the rest of us were, were I suppose, trying to mind each other as well. Oh, I don't know which competition it was. I mean, there's so many different ones, but I think it were in Kazakhstan, or I know Eric Donovan and Ken Egan. They were like the the stalwarts at this stage. They were like the daddies of the group, and we were playing cards and. They didn't agree too much with it. They wanted to be embedded uh, at eight o'clock and they wanted to be, you know, they were sort of kept themselves or whatever. And I remember we used to go into the room white Square because I, I was sort of, I was in with all the gang or all the friends. Like I went to Paddy Pans and Mike Connolly and I went to Kenny and I went to Darryl and John Jeremy. I was sort of like a floater. I used to get on with everyone really. Like not all the lads, not all the lads used to get on with each other. Everyone, used to, like a lot of people used to keep themselves, you know. I used to keep. I used to go round to the mall because I get a bit of crack everywhere. And uh, I was go to the room to Kenny and Eric, and the curtains would be pulled like at eleven o'clock in the morning, and you know they'd be very old school. They didn't want any fun or didn't want any enjoyment, and they just wanted a yeah. fight and they wanted to get the job done, you know. And uh, we were all up trying to play cards and have trying to take money off each other. But oh yeah, the mood changes, as in. It, it goes hostile, it goes quick. You know, tempers flare up. You know, coming close to the competition because everyone's on edge. You know, you're hungry because yeah, we're all making weight. You've been in camp there for two or three weeks together, as in 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 a small complex, and usually the food is bad as well. So, like, there's a lot of factors that come into play. And then the not riding on the line, you're fighting for medals, fighting for qualification. So, there is things that, that, that flare up. Um, I know, I remember as well, Roy Sheehan, he was an awful, an awful trickster, you know, you could find anything in your bed, your bag would be gone, be like, your trousers be pulled down in the, in the middle of, on the bus, you know, or just in public, like, anything was happening. Like, that's, that's great, cracking, that's mighty on a stag for a day or two, but man, you do three weeks of that, and, and getting hammered in sparring, and trying to make weight, and Roy Sheehan pulling down your trousers, you know. <laughs> Like and that was only there were the minor things, but like you, people used to people used to turn on each other a lot, a, a quicker than maybe people know. But it was all part of the camp. But when we came home, then so let's say we we're gone for three weeks and we'd be dying to get home, couldn't wait to get home, eat normal food, come home to your girlfriend, your wife, whatever it was. And but when we came home, we're like cabin fever like i was always thinking i wonder what the lads are doing i wonder well you know i couldn't settle at home because there was no one to play cards with there was no one there was no crack you know it was it was it was different it was it took a while then to get to to climatize into home life again after that so you know mood changes everything changes your whole demeanor changes because and yeah and yeah and you grow into it and then you can and you have to become, you have to become the sport. And that's what it is. You know, you have to become selfish. And then when you come home, then you become
0: the family man again or whatever. But you, can be, you can't be both. Not at that not at that level. Coach is keeping their finger on the pulse as well. Billy, Billy was a great man. Billy was, Billy
1: had it off. A coach. He was a coach's coach. You know, he like, he treated me differently than he treated Paddy. Or Kenny, like he treated Everyone different. He'd done things with John Evan, he do different things with Michael Conlon. You know, he knew I like to do certain things before a fight. And he knew other lads liked to do certain things before a fight. And that was it. And he, he worked that. He worked them strengths. Whereas I know when Billy left or whatever, Zor took over. Zor trained me like he trained Katie Taylor. You know, I'm not Katie Taylor. Like he trained Paddy Bands like Katie Taylor. Like he just trained everyone the same as in one blank page and everyone must have uh, filled into that. If I look at that was I'm not saying it was wrong, but I'm saying it didn't suit
0: me. I don't want to overstate it, but I'm gonna overstate it because I think in light of what went on in Rio, it seems a lifetime ago now, but it left it left a bad stain and left some it left a lot of people with a lot of ammunition over the years who wanted to say, Oh, there's a reason why these lads are been able to do so well and then when something does go wrong, it's like, ah, look there, didn't I tell you? But that's not the case. And I think in so many teams, so many ways, this team has wiped that clean. They've started fresh. Even in defeat with Emmett and people like that, With the people are embracing them again. But in terms of success, this is the first big one, isn't it? This is where it starts, really. I know the,
1: the one we were all waiting for was 16 in Rio, was Shakur Stevenson and Mike Hanlon. That one would have been um, a bigger Billy and Zohar battle. In my opinion, because Billy had trained Michael for for five or six years before that, and he just lo- left him for one year, and then had taken over Shakur Stevenson for one year, you know. So he'd actually trained Mike son more than he had Shakur Stevenson. So that would have been a, b- a big fight for the two of them, and that one we we're all looking forward to. It. But again, that's me speaking off the cliff, But there'll definitely be something between Kerr, uh, between Billy and Zor, you know. Billy used to get all the credit um, for everything that happened, and they were set up. Um, Zord did an awful lot of work as well. You know, maybe he was the forgotten man in it at the time. So maybe this is his chance now to to shine and to maybe show what he can do as well.
0: I remember listening to an episode there with Kev Kev O'Brien and shout out to Kev. It was a, a fa- fabulous show. And and there's a fella that you spoke about, an unsung hero. I mean, in all in, in any other time of the year. Tony David would be over at this Olympics he'd be there front and centre
1: Tony David is Irish boxing down for tea like we all remember I remember him at the living room like that's that's 20 years ago if I remember you know and I remember in Mexico in 2008 he was doing pads with me the night performing world title. He's, he's still training up in Celtic Warriors He is a few boxers still up there so I see him now um, every few weeks you know so like he's a very big part of my own boxing career you talk know, to any boxer that grew up in the last 30 years 40 years he's he's a, he's a, he's going to be a big part of their boxing career as well he just he's in it for the love of boxing he loves boxing loves the crack that it brings and he just wants lads to do well yeah. he's a genuine straight guy and he just as i said he I'd say boxing has cost that man a lot of money. I'd say it's cost a lot of time, but it doesn't matter. He it's not in for any of them. He's in it because he wants to be in it. And he wants helping out.
0: My father-in-law is a Sligo man, and I leave it on this. And I message him today, and I said, "What's going on?" I said, "You've spent a whole life playing for, watching, supporting, giving out about Sligo." I said, "Now I said in the space of the last two weeks, it says." The West's awake. I said, we've got a girl from Sligo, I said, who's breaking records all over the place. I said, we've a girl from Oscommon, I said, who's absolutely, he's killing it. I said, you need to give up that old thing, I said, and start following a real sport. Well, I won't tell you what yeah, it's like. Oh, yeah.
1: it <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that, yeah. But because there's no, as I said, there's not all glory days. So, uh, like, Mona McSherry will tell you, there's, uh, like... She, she's a hero at the minute, but like no one have heard of her a few years ago. Now I know she was an Irish family. That's that's how I know her. But like she was she was unheard of up to now. Now she's a hero, you know, so there is no there's no gimme, there's no handouts. It's that's the Olympic Games and it's that's the pinnacle of all sport. Especially boxing. But as in I'm biased so I'm always in that. But there's like we're not we don't want to, we the Irish the, we don't just follow Winners. We don't watch with winners, as in, like we follow people, we follow the character, we follow the counties because we love them. You know, not because they're winners, because most time they're not. You know, we still follow them and, and we're very passionate about them because we love them and we love to support real characters and real people and that's just the irish people do
0: to hate the best way to finish on this is it's one of the things that many of the things about yourself that encapsulated and and, and that w- helped you win the hearts of, of the irish people and the irish at large because over the years and and i think it's fair to say there's a bit of life left if not there's a little bit more life left in that old dog yet than people realize and, a and i really genuinely hope we get to see it sooner rather than later there
1: is a life left in the old dog where there's a the old bull for the long road, isn't that it?
0: That's it for sure. And there's a little bit more yeah. uh, incentive now when the wee man is sat beside the ringside, or he sat somewhere. And that's to, it, yes. And, and I, you know what?
1: I'll, I'll, Boxer knows me nothing. I've nothing to prove either. I, I can go out now and I can enjoy it. And as I said, I'm working, so I have a few pounds at the bank. I have my family at home. I'm I'm not pressured yeah. like a, 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 earlier on in the chat. I was saying I was lying on the paycheck. You know, I'm not lying on that anymore. And I don't, I want to do the young lad proud, of course. But I, I know now, I've very little left in the tank in terms of, I've lost two years with these issues and COVID. And all my career is going to an end, even though I feel only 19, I'm actually 31. So, like, I know I've only a small little bit left. You have to be in the mix to get the break, you know. and I haven't been in the mix for the last few, the last few months, but... Please, God, I'll be back in the mix uh, when the time is right. Thank you very much for the call, Al. You've always a great support of mine, and you're keeping keeping my name and lights up there.
0: You know, I genuinely hope that you, the listener, can see and hear what I saw and heard in our conversation with Ray last August. If you've watched him and listened to him a lot over the years, you'll know he's been wiry, he's been hyper, he's been moving about almost as he's on the phone. a different sort of Ray Mylott. That, with the talent, with the focus, with the resolve and with the new determination of fighting for his family could just be a very dangerous, makes him a very, very dangerous opponent on Saturday night for Dalton Smith, the matchroom fighter. All that's left for me to do is wish Ray the very best of Irish luck and love on Saturday night going into this fight. He's worked hard enough, long enough, had enough heartache and had enough downs to be able to create all the luck that he needs for himself. Manifest everything that's needed and put it together and turn in a performance that reminds the world, oh, I forgot about him. Thank you for taking time to listen to this episode. Thank you for always supporting. We've been flying high in the Irish podcast charts over the last couple of weeks and months. There's some really, really exciting stuff going on in the background that I am absolutely bursting to tell you about, but I can't just for now. Please take the time to share this episode and I'm going to let it run out with a very special message from a very special man. Niall Kennedy is a stable mate, he's a friend, a close friend.
1: I just want to say, Ray, I hope you do the very best, mate. Make your little man proud your queen proud take the center of the ring like I said to you show that you're the boss be the let I go up watching really take tight defense and push push this man back don't lay on the ropes don't give the match room referees an opportunity to jump in show the quality that you are because you're gifted but be praying for you and you show and leave your full ability and regardless of the result I'm so happy getting out of that ring and I'm happy for you